0: A house is not a great investment. The house that you live in is not a great investment. What it is, it's a
1: way of tricking yourself to building wealth. The UK is often described as a nation of homeowners. We're obsessed with getting on the ladder. A lot of people don't even question this. It's just taken for granted that buying a house is something we should all aim for. But is it always the right thing to do? Should you rent or should you buy? Jason Butler is an independent personal finance expert at the Financial Times, amongst many other things. He also has a lot of knowledge about property. And I think no matter if you're looking to buy your first home, you already own one, or you're just worried about your mortgage going up with rising interest rates, you'll take a lot away from this conversation.
0: I'm not saying we're looking at a 30% property crash. What I'm saying is we are definitely in a buyer's market, even if some sellers aren't aware of that and estate agents are hoping
1: that's not the case. You're described as one of the most qualified financial experts in the country. You talk for corporations like Tesco's, mm. personal finance. Yeah, that's right. You've written a whole host of books. We're mm. going to link them all in the mm. newsletter as well. But most importantly, you have the experience as a homeowner and as a landlord, mm. which I think is really relevant to today's conversation. And in a property investor and yeah. a builder. Yeah, yeah. yeah. should yeah. you buy, should you rent? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to just hit you with a, with a statement that I think floats around at the minute, and you give me a genuine opinion if you don't mind. It's never been harder than it is now to buy a home. How do you feel about that statement?
0: Uh, I think, yes, it's right if you just take it on face value. Yes, it has never been harder. And it's not just harder because of affordability. It's also because of kind of what does a home represent, you know, and because we've come off the back of 20-odd years of buy-to-let investors or people who could just, you know, you didn't have to think about it. You made money if you just put your name Low interest name on rates and... Yeah. Low int- virtually no cost money. So, yes, I think on the face of it, yeah, but it's also never been easier to make money. So in the 90s, this is what I call um, BI, before the internet, and uh, when we used to have to go to reference libraries to learn about things and stuff like that over the days. Um, the, as my wife and I say, you know, in the early days, it was tough to earn money because there was no internet. There was no sources of information. There was no way of monetizing it in followers or any of that. It was just, it was a grind. Yeah. So in answer to your question, it is hard, harder to buy property um um or afford property and the decisions that you have to go through in the thought process is more finely balanced. You can't just be an idiot these days. But that's that's no different from the general personal finance world because whereas before a lot of us could just float around and budge along and just sleepwalk around our finances and and you know spending uh, Lacks being lax at our spending, or not being conscious about our decisions, or being influenced by others. They didn't have as many consequences as they do now. So the decisions about buying property, whether that's a home to live in, whether that's an investment property, it has to be more. You have to think it through more. You can't just sleepwalk into it. Um, is it always the right time to buy a property? No. Are uh, all properties the right kind of deal for you? No. Um, is is a property an investment? Well, it can be. It depends. We all need somewhere to live, and the question is is should you rent or should you buy? And so, for most of us, there's a period in your life when you should be renting. So, I'll give an example. My daughter's twenty four. She's a software engineer. She lives in Cambridge. She pays one thousand three hundred pound a month for a one bedroom flat. Okay. Which is a lot, even though she's on a good salary. She's only twenty-four. Um, it's a large amount, but not if you live in London. It's not a lot. Yeah, we um no, but it's still a lot of money yeah, so relative it's, it's to a her lot earnings. Money, yeah. Yeah. So that that's probably forty percent of her take-home pay, which is far higher than we would we normally suggest people do because it crowds out other things. But for her, in her situation, it makes sense to rent for three reasons. One, because she's establishing her career, right? So she's got into a job very high-paying. Um, she the, It's very hard work. She's a cybersecurity software engineer. It's not easy. The whole thing of learning all that, I mean, she did a classics degree for for goodness sake. You know, She didn't do computer science and she's in a male-dominated world and all that stuff. But the point is, she's now developing a career. They're giving her pay rises. She's getting bonuses. And so she's growing into her career and that's an investment in herself. So in other words, wasting money, as we call it, on rent is a good investment for her Because if if that job didn't turn out or she didn't want to live in Cambridge, then she can just, at the end of her notice or whatever, she can give notice and leave. And also, she doesn't have any, other than the rent, she doesn't have any worries about, you know, maintenance and renewals and all that sort of stuff other than her energy bills. And so, so for her, it makes sense. And for many people, renting does make sense. Now... If we take, if we think about her, and again, I use her as my example. She's twenty-four, and you know, we're now starting to think about okay, what should we do? Long term, we don't want to be paying someone rent, do we? No, we don't really want to be. Paid. And the reason is is because it's just dead money in the long run. So what we are, what we have to do is we have to think about okay, so. What's the cost of living somewhere whether it's renting or buying? There's a great website which uh, I'll give you the link to. It's called Smart Money Tools and it's got a great calculator called rent versus Buy. And You can put all your own factors in like how much deposit you're going to put down, what's the rent of the equivalent house, what interest rates do you want to assume on the mortgage, what growth rate do you want to assume on property. You can put all these things in and it's got defaults and it will tell you and says how long do you want to stay there. That's the important thing. So the longer the period renting is going to be a worse bet for you, all other things being considered. The shorter the period, renting is going to be a less cost of total ownership. And that's when you take into account with rental, any deposit you would have put into the house, you can invest, can't you? Or save. Yeah. And people don't do that. I mean, I did a really dodgy video about three years ago about this rent versus buy on a whiteboard. And now there's all slick calculators and all sorts of, but the principles I obviously explaining, and of course, when you add in cost of maintenance and all that. So so that that is a good calculator to work out. And this particular calculator, the crossover point for her with her current numbers and the current rates of mortgages and the deposits she would put down would be about three years. So she's going to stay there for three years or more. And of all other things being equal, we can get the property at the price that we're looking at and the rent goes up at 5% a year or whatever. Then basically she is better off buying. But when we think about buying, we're not just thinking about, um, we're not buying any leaseholds because we don't want leaseholds because you're not in control of the maintenance. I'm not saying they're not right for everyone, but we don't want any leaseholds because we want two bedrooms. And if we want two bedrooms because in this rent versus buy calculator, doesn't take into account renting out a room. And she doesn't have to rent out a room, but having a second room means that she can rent out up to 7500 tax free. That gives her an option. She's got friends at work, you know, girls that she really likes and stuff in different departments. So she's not like living with them and having to work with the same people, but who are really good people who for them, eight, nine hundred pounds a month would be cheap, right? Cheaper than the one bedroom flat that she's renting. Yeah. So she's almost, this is now starting to look really serious, right? Then we're saying, okay, so we, we want a house, we want two bedroom, we want freehold. So we either we either buy something that's a shocker uh, or we build something. And people say, what do you mean build? So I did a thing the other day and said, well, help to build. The government provide help to build. They provide you know, low-cost funding for, for building your own house. You can go to sites, uh, you can find it yourself or, go, or the local council. And we all think, oh, we can't build anything. Well, what about all the developers who make a living doing it? So if you can build your own house, you take out one third of the margin. So suddenly, what would have been a five hundred thousand pound house might be three hundred and seventy-five. Okay, it's hard work, and there's a little bit of moving parts. You might need to do educate yourself and find some key people. But I just said, okay, so we're either going to build. Where are you going to find somewhere to build in Cambridge, Dad? I said. Well, that's not the question, is it? It's, it's an option. So we now have got to see can we find a building plot? So then I speak to a friend of mine. He says, Well, oh, I know someone who's got a little plot there. He's got a little corner bit, which is not going to have the executive homes on it, but it would take a two bedroom standalone, which could probably do it in old stone and make it look nice and there's a car parking spot. I think he might peel that off for you for, for 180 grand. Well, I thought that sounds a lot of money, but it is Cambridge, right? And this is walking distance to where my, all the bars and the clubs and the places in my daughter wants to go. I'm starting thinking I'd give him 200 grand for that. But the point is, unless I'd asked the question, I wouldn't find, I wouldn't be looking. You know, like if you. But you've got a contact for that. If a normal person, yeah, would you, you just go to the council? No, 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 or... put that to one side. It comes with. When you, I don't know if you've ever bought a car, right? Oh,
2: yeah. A red BMW. And
0: then you bought the red BMW. And before you know it, all you see is red BMWs. Yeah. And it's because what you've done is you've opened your mind up to the possibility. So first of all, you've got to stop having money and funds as the inhibiting issue. You've got to you've got to look at all the options available to you. Um, and then what you've got to do is you've got to say once you've you've got an eye of what good looks like. So now my daughter is now, she's now fine-tuning all the postcodes and all the roads and all the areas on a map for me, so that we together, and I'm she's gonna do it with me. I'm not gonna do all the work, but she's now working out where she wants to live. So now what we do is we keep looking and looking. So her now getting her home, we don't have a specific time in mind. Um, we we are starting to work out what good would look like. We're starting to play around with, well, what could we do? What would it cost, etc.? Um, when would I be right to do it? And also, what do I need to do to become ready to buy? So, one of the a house is not a great investment. The house that you live in is not a great investment. What it is, it, it, it's a way of tricking yourself to building wealth, because we would pay for housing anyway through rent, etc. What we're doing is we're, even if it was marginally more expensive on a monthly basis, what we're doing is we're kidding ourselves through the monthly payment. We're forcing ourselves to pay down our debt for an asset that we need to use anyway, so that after 25 or 30 years, however long your mortgage is, or depending if you move, et cetera, what we've ended up with is we've paid off our loan and we've ended up with an, an, an asset.
1: An unencumbered asset that we can- I
0: live in a house that yeah. I've lived in for 25 years. My daughter grew up there. There's no mortgage on it. Yeah. But I know you, they all say, oh, you shouldn't- Pay off your loan, you should keep the mortgage out. And you hear all these people, like these property gurus, I'm not interested. We sit there, we have a glass of wine on a Friday night. This is ours. We have no mortgage on it. If we sold it tomorrow, we could downscale for a house. And, you know, we could certainly live in something smaller. We don't need a five bedroom house with an acre and a half of land. It's ridiculous. Now, I'm not saying that to brag. What I mean is that was a real stretch for us when we bought that. And we've built, we've added land, we've done extensions, we've made it the way we want it. But the point is, it's ours. Now, if I added it all up, the money I've put into that house, it probably wouldn't be a great investment. So although it, is a large, it represents a large amount of wealth, there is many other things I could have done with that to make many, many millions, but we needed somewhere to live. We wanted somewhere to bring up our family and it's got all those memories in it, but now it's something which is just another asset we can move around on the wealth jigsaw.
1: So if we look at it from this home perspective of individuals and they they subscribe to that narrative of we need a home, we want a place to live because long term, it's good for our finances in the sense of we don't have a monthly rent bill.
0: And security of tenure.
1: Security of tenure. You say like, balance out this act between renting versus buying, but then that's changed because of interest rates, right? So if I use my house as an example where I live, let's say it's worth half a million pounds, it would actually be, it's actually cheaper. I could rent it out for less than the mortgage would be if you were coming at it with a 10% deposit, right? So not everyone has a father that's got an empire behind them as well, such. An empire yeah, them. <laughs> well, you, you know, it depends on who, who you're comparing it to. But what I mean is most people are just saying, should I be breaking my back now to save up 10% to put into a house where the payment for the mortgage is actually more than I pay in rent?
0: Right, so here's the thing. I'm not keen on my daughter to be in a rush to buy a house, okay? That's my view, my view to her. I said, you don't need to be rushed. What you need to do is you need to find motivated sellers who need the money more than they need the price. And you need to be in such great shape financially, one way or another, so, if you're you know, if you're renting, renting gives you flexibility, right? Yes, but it does suck the living daylights out of your money. So, it might be you have to you have to think about where you're going to rent. If that's the price you have to pay and you might have to move for your work, you might have to change your career, you might have to reschool. Then maybe you've got to look at what you do. I mean, I know it's not easy for many people. It's not simple. You know, rent is a is a big tax on people, but here's the thing. At the moment, the true value of properties, properties are very much influenced, although a third of houses are owned completely mortgage-free and another third, I think, are very less than 50% of mortgage and about a third are sort of pretty much encumbered. Um, we haven't actually seen the recalibration of prices or houses because we haven't seen the recalibration of the cost of money yet because the vast majority of people are still on these ridiculously absurdly yeah. low two percents, three percents, even even by to let landlords, you know three, four percent. They haven't even realized yet, and they haven't been fully affected by the tax changes. The point I'm making is that it's going to take a couple of years for the excess, what I call this ridiculous final hurrah of the cheap free money to be unwound. I'm not saying we're looking at a 30% property crash. What I'm saying is we are definitely in a a buyer's market, even if some sellers aren't aware of that and estate agents are hoping that's not the case.
1: How long do you think it will last this buyer's market?
0: Well, I don't know. I think we're moving into the buyer's market. I'm saying we're the beginning of the buyer's market. No, I don't know. I'm not a property expert. But what I'm saying is I grew up in the 70s. I went through the early 90s property crash. Uh, there's, everything's different. Uh, and there's lots of different factors. But what I'm saying to you is if you are a young person either looking to buy your first home or thinking of moving up because you need the more space or you want a better place or whatever it is or move for work, I think you actually things are moving in your direction. Take your time. Don't rush. I'm saying... Don't let the last 10 or 15 years what's happened with property dictate your value judgment and your thought process. Get yourself in the very best position financially. So that means none of these expensive phones on 90 pound a month deals, no buy now, pay later stuff. Develop the good habits, which is about you keeping control of most of your money. Now, of course, yes, by all means have holidays, by all means have things that give you fun and joy, but they all have prices. If you're serious about buying a house, then you have to think and do things differently to people who aren't. And you can either act like a victim or you can act like a victor. And that means, what do I have to do? Okay, it may be tough and it may be different with things I need to do, but I'm saying the cost of housing for purchase, my opinion, is going to become softer and softer and softer as more and more people come on these fixed rates and the economy gets money sucked out of it and people cannot afford these higher deals and as people thinking of moving and then they're looking at a new deal at 5.3% or 4.5% double or 4%, the cost of what double running. what they were paying. Mm. It's got to affect prices because what will happen is the market will slow down, slow down, slow down, slow down.
1: I think for first-time buyers, is- Inherently, due to the last 10 years, there's always a sense of panic. Always, I need to buy right now, I need to buy right now. Yeah, that, I'm that trying to buy right now. That hasn't sucked out of the market. It's now,
2: yet. you're saying next few years is probably a I good time a nice to buy I think it's a nice message just to be
0: like, well, just chill it, out it, and it, take it, your time. Here's the, here's the other thing. Young people, and I don't mean this to sound like I'm mansplaining or dad's explaining or whatever, or condescending, but look, most young people are naive at business and buying a house is part of business. It's a transaction, but it's a big transaction, which very few people do. See, there's a house in my village which has been up for 350,000 pounds. It's gone through three cells that have fallen through. There's a plot on the side that could be a building plot. I offered three two seven five. Oh, no, no, they want Well, it's an estate sale. So what will happen is they will eventually run out of road when they realize that the price they're anchored onto, which is in a different world, okay? They either want the cash and I'll have it and I will have the upside from the building land, but it will take me two years. The house needs completely gutting and redoing. They're trying to charge for me the house as if it would be all done and 20 or 30 grand for the building plot, which doesn't have permission. So the point is, if you can be patient, if you can know your numbers, if you can let the natural excess of cheap, free, easy, uh, low-cost money work its way through, I'm not saying you're gonna pick up, you don't get anything, for instance, in nice areas like Cambridge, nothing's cheap, but what will happen, something will come that's value. And therefore, if you aren't if you aren't totally clear what good looks like, if you're not in a totally what I call clean and the best shape you can financially in terms of borrowing Boring. and stuff like that, and, and and being able to afford a mortgage and uh, deposits and stuff like that, <clears throat> then um, then you're not in the what I call you're not ready you're not ready to do business. But then what you have to do is you have to keep making cheeky bids. Now cheeky bids are. You can prove you've got the deposit. You can prove you've got a mortgage in principle. You know exactly what you want. You you know what things have sold for. You know how long things have been on the market. But that can only happen if it's a part-time job. Your part-time job is now to become to buy the house of your dreams or certainly the house that, that will be part of your dream, even if it's not the, the dream. Yeah. So the point is you have to spend as much time researching property, looking at property, making offers on property, trying to get look at what the mortgage deals are, doing the rent versus buy a car. You have to put as much time into that as you do binge watching crap on Netflix and stuff like that. And I don't mean that to be rude. I'm saying most people are too distracted. They're not prepared to put the timing, but what they want is it to be easy. It's not easy. Even in a in a market that's moving to a buyer's market, what you have to do is you have to become quite obsessive about this because for everyone else who's not obsessive, that's your benefit. So you're looking for motivated sellers. And don't forget if you're a first-time buyer, you are like the new gold. Yeah. So we've just sold a property that my my wife owns that was her late parents' house that she's owned for years. And um, we put it on the market and we spoke to the agent and we knew we put it on more than it really was gonna sell for, but we had to get the buyer feeling like they had a nice reduction. So when they bid us 30 grand below the price, I think, yeah, 30 grand below the price, we then accepted 20 grand below the price, which was still 15 grand more than we thought it was worth. But that's the point. They thought they got a deal. They, so they got, thought agree. they got a deal. We knew it was going to value up because it's a good, it's a good, solid, you know, family home. I've got a question for first-time yeah, buyers. Go on, then.
2: Um, so I'm looking at my first property, and obviously I live in London, West London. Um, and a couple of my friends have bought properties Spending. in like Southeast London. They're from West, but they bought in Southeast because it's a bit cheaper. And now they're like, I'm so broke, I can't afford my mortgage. Like they've had, they can't go out anymore. All these things, like it's changed their quality of life. Yeah. Do you think, as a first-time buyer, you should buy to live in the place? Or I've been looking at places in like Durham, Manchester, up north, which are a fraction of the price of what I could get in West London, and comes with a garden, a house, all these things. Do you want to do live you- in Durham? No, but for for an investment, do you think you should always you should always live on your first?
1: Are, are you a property
0: investor? investor? Have you got your spirit? You won't, get, you won't no. get the
1: financing because no. you're not you not a first-time buyer. You're a first-time buyer, so they yeah. won't lend on a buy-to-lap. To yeah, you. but if I've got the money to buy it. Cash, yeah, yeah, we can yeah, get yeah. it. But
0: here's years. the thing: if you've not ever invested in property, and I mean this with all due respect. Yeah, my daughter, my, thing, yeah. my daughter went to uni in Durham, right? So we know yeah, it we know that's well. Why yeah, I like we love Durham, it. Yeah. However, I do not want property. I don't even, bro, I unless it's a flip, I don't buy property that I can't drive to in half an hour. Yeah, okay. I don't care how cheap it is; it's cheap for a reason. But what you're talking about is it's affordable. Yeah, that's not necessarily the same as good value. And it may be you're not in the right position to see. Again, it's an instinctive thing that we've all looking for the last twenty years that we have to buy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, long-term, yeah. But why rush? I wouldn't be looking to be getting, bailing people out from their properties right now if I didn't have to. I'd be encouraging you to get cuter at the renting so that you can free up some more money. I'd rather live like a student for two years in a rented hovel in an area that I want to go with in my social life, yeah. be piling up the cash, um, be hustling to earn more income, uh, find ways that I can be more useful and valuable, do my research and keep drilling into it. I mean, get your, if you can buy a property at auction... Um, That's another thing. I'm not saying they're right for everyone because you can get some right pigs in auctions. But auctions are where people, um, if they don't need to borrow or, or, um, or they can get bridging financing to be able to buy it, you can pick up some value. There was a property the other day I I was at the gym and I never got around. One of my uh, chaps said to me, oh, Jay, there's this place. It's got a guide of 120. It's one of these silly timed auction things. And it's it's an area where we bought loads of flips. He said, can you get an bid on that? I said, yeah. Anyway, I took a phone call and I never got to it. Only one bidder. The hammer went down at 120. Well, that house, all done, is worth 240. All done with 25 grand spent on it. All because I was busy doing something else. Right. So, so what I'm saying is there are, there are opportunities to buy properties fairly. You can't, nothing worth having is going to come super cheap. It's going to become more affordable. And I would suggest that you've got actually the next 18 months to two years. If I was a betting man, which I'm not, I'd be saying, like I'm with my daughter, we are, we are, we're ready to buy, but we're not buying, um, if, unless we have to unless unless something comes to us that the, the 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 sort of the moon and the sun is aligned as it were um I'm not saying this is easy right and yeah. i do feel sorry for young people that that things are less affordable but I think the things are moving in your direction so the cost of money filtering through will slow down sales and houses there gets to point when people have to come out of the denial phase people who are anchored on a price or because someone told them it was worth it because they need it you know and your best bet is to buy off of a probate. Probate purchases are the very best. So you've got to be super clean, ready to go. First time buyer, buying off probate. Get loads
1: of those where I live in Southport. Call it God's waiting room and it's just full of yeah. but places. London's got more probate.
0: people dying than any region yeah. in the country. So don't tell me there aren't opportunities. You know, there uh, there is opportunities to buy bigger houses that you can split up perhaps into flats and you can split with was, friends. That's what I was thinking. I'd be right. doing that. I'd be getting together that. with two or three friends and say, yeah. look, I'll keep one yeah. of the flats to live in and,
1: and we'll sell the other yeah, you two. Yeah, did that Get- in Manchester. Can you guess what the biggest learning has been from doing this podcast or even my YouTube channel? It's that the most important investment you can make is in you. So for me, my path to real wealth isn't through investing, it's by building this business. And that's why I'm happy that we're working with Hostinger. Hostinger help entrepreneurs, freelancers and side hustlers with their websites. My favourite thing is their AI website builder, which helps anyone create a professional website with zero coding experience. You just describe your goal in a couple of sentences and the AI creates a beautiful looking website just like magic. You can then customise it, use the AI assistant to generate SEO friendly text and even use their AI logo maker. It's fast, user friendly and of course what I like the best is it's great value for money. You can get website hosting and a free domain from £2.99 a month. So if you want a website, then check out Hostinger. and if you use the code Making Money, that's Making Money all one word, you'll get ten percent off. And I've left a link in the description for you. Can we talk about this decision between renting and buying them? From you talk about numbers and calculations, I want to bring that like to life to people a bit. When I was reading some of the stuff you'd done, you you have your kind of rules of like. Base it on 5%, you know, as an in interest rate, 10% deposit, but also look at the affordability from a monthly perspective, which I think most people don't. And I think yeah. it sounds simple, but most people are obsessed with multiples, right? So can you just explain?
0: Yeah. So here's the thing. Regardless of, as I say, we'll give you the link to that, that Wizzy calculator can do it all for you. But here's the thing. The banks want you to think in terms of how much can I borrow as a a multiple of my earnings, right? That's how they teach you. And if you look online, you will not find a calculator that can reverse back from, I've got this amount per month, forget rent versus buy, I've got this amount per month, and I've got this deposit, how much should I be bidding for the house based on current mortgage? There is no calculator out there. Someone said to me, oh, someone's built one somewhere, but I've still not found it. And the reason is because the banks want you to borrow the maximum you can and not to be sensitive to the price, even though you are. And so- if, for instance, my daughter's got this £1,300 a month rent she pays. So if we work backwards, we now know based on how much she can put down and that £1,300, I don't want to pay any more out, and ideally she would pay a bit less. What should she be buying houses for that are the same as she's renting? So if we compare that to a one bedroom flat, it might come up with a number of 220000 Now those flats are up for 280000 So what we've got to keep on doing is putting bids in if we wanted a similar to what she's got, bids in for 220 225 230 something like that. Regardless of what they're asking for. Even if for. they're cheeky
1: bids, just... Just, just week. If you're afford. not putting
0: a bid in every week for one, right? You've got no chance, have you? Yeah. And eventually, if they don't sell them, they eventually will come, as come a, back as a, as a market that's softening and eventually falling, and the cost of borrowings going up and up and up for more and more and more people. Eventually, they will start realizing, remember, something is not worth what someone thinks it's worth, needs it to be worth, or someone told them it is worth. It's worth what a willing buyer is prepared to pay for it. And if there's no other buyers...
1: That's what it's worth. That's what it's
0: worth. Now, if you don't need the money and you want to wait till 2030 and hope the world's all changed, that's great. But most people are selling a property for a reason, either death, divorce or debt. They can't afford the mortgage, might be a buy to let. Um, someone has died, in which case it's not theirs or they're inheriting it, so it's free money anyway. Um, or they got divorced. And I don't wish anyone could get divorced, but I'll tell you what, there's nothing worse um, than getting divorced and, and being in an unhappy marriage or an unhappy relationship. Just get the property gone. Yeah. Let's yeah. Let move money out. money in yeah. They're motivated yeah. in that sense. Yeah. Just going back to that thing is, Think about the monthly payment. and what, how and, much
1: you can pay each month? Yes, yeah.
0: and then work backwards. what price do you need to offer, given the deposit you've got and the cost of borrowing, and regardless of what they're offering, remember, what they're asking, there's no relation to your situation. Now you might be saying, oh, my people might say, well, there's no way, there's no way you can do that. Now, here's the thing you've got to remember. Under the Estate Agency Act, unless the client has specific, the seller of the house has specifically agreed that they do not want to be sent any offers that are not at or above asking price. They have to submit them. The law is they must submit the, prof- the offers. So I make a point of, here's my offer. Can you please confirm that the client has not um, uh, instructed you that they will not, they do not want to receive any offers at or above the asking price. So said, no, they haven't. So I said, fine. So I expect you to, so then you get a letter confirming they've offered it and a letter confirming that they've declined it. Uh, and 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 be prepared to keep offering on a property that doesn't sell that's that's good. That's good because it proves that you were right in the first place. Just because yeah. some other idiot wants to pay what they're asking, what's that got to do with you? You're yeah. looking for an angle. You're looking for a result. You're not looking to be a fairy godmother or a fairy godfather.
1: You talk about framing it from a perspective of how much I can afford on a month, but then you also say that your daughter is protected from all of the costs associated with home ownership because you just got rent. Don't have to worry about it. Yeah. How does someone then sit down and go, this is what home ownership is going to cost me? What costs should well, I would, I would
0: normally add I would normally add as a rough rule of thumb, 10% to your monthly payment. So if, for instance, it's £1,200 on the mortgage at £120 for maintenance. So that covers, you know, the, the dilapidations, things that go wrong, boilers, etc. But the other thing when you're buying a house, and I would really recommend you do this. Um, my daughter had a friend who was buying a house for 300000 It was all going through and on a world well change with Liz Truss and Quasi Quante, tried to do their blow-up sort of angle, their little experimental project. They had a good um, time. And I just said to him, we'll offer them £270,000. So I would walk away. But he couldn't because he wanted to move out from his parents' house. I said, well, just offer them $270. What else are he going to do? Who else is going to come? And he ends up getting 10000 off. Then he moves in and finds out the boiler's buggered and it's damp in the back. So clearly, he's just had a basic homebuyers thing. Always check the boiler. Always check uh, any, any kit that's going to... What really costs you money is boilers and electrics. Uh, and plumbing. Just check all that stuff, you know. Turn the shower on. Turn it on. Make sure the make boiler's it, working. Is find out when it was last serviced. Because I'll tell you now, boilers, whether you're going to get one of these new air source heat pumps or you're going to go for a new gas one, um, they, they cost a lot of money. You know, I, I, I've been caught so many times on boilers. Now, my standard thing is three to eight thousand quid for the boiler. That's how I think on every property. And so you factor I've been, that
1: into the deal because you're thinking, I'm going to need to replace it. Even if ones. it looks
0: gimped up and nice, yeah. right? The boilers are always the thing that go wrong. Why is that? Because because basically, whether they're serviced or not, boilers normally have about a 10-year life. So I went into one house and it was all very nice and lovely. And the guy had been there 25 years. I said, um, I said, that boiler, that looks a bit 90s to me. Oh, no, it's in perfect order. I said, yeah, okay, we're going to need to put a new boiler in. Oh no, it's perfectly. Old. I said no, it's a new boiler. It's going to be five grand, and it's probably going to need a new tank because your tank's too small, and we need a pressurized one. I said so. I, I'm sorry. I, I'm going to have to probably allow ten grand from my plumbing. That's where I'm at. I just I'm saying that to him as I'm looking at. it. I said I'm so, very sorry, but we can't. Even you're managing the yeah. expectations. that's a '90s know. boiler. I said, yeah, but the best going to go in a, or, in a few years. I mean, or all of us months. are getting older. I said. <laughs> I said none of us are getting any fitter, you know, because things go wrong. I said, and you, you, I'm sure you've looked after it well, but that's just the way it is. I said. That's that's in my mind. I've got to take that into account.
2: As a first-time buyer or someone who's not as experienced as you, do you reckon people should just, like you said, do their research every day, read about it, or do you think there's someone you can go to for advice and, like, at least as a checklist, make sure you check the boiler, make sure you check the Japanese knotweed, make sure you check the mould? Like, well, you or look do you on
0: think- like homeowners, the Homeowners Alliance is a great website that has got loads and loads of checklists, um, guides, uh, how-tos, what this, what this means, and it's different. Don't forget the buying process in Scotland versus England and Wales. I'm
2: not buying in Scotland.
0: Northern Ireland also is different. <laughs> Um, but the point is, is that you can't don't go into buying one of the biggest things you're going to buy, whether that's for investment purposes or for living mm-hmm. in. Like taking the narrative that you're just being told by vested interests, whether it's estate agents, whether it's the banks, whether it's people trying to sell their houses mm-hmm. for top money, um, you just got to. This is your part-time job. Yeah. This and it will pay dividends because you might not get something really cheap. If you're buying a lovely house in Cambridge, like walking distance for Jesus College, you're probably going to not going to get anything really cheap. But what you are going to do is buy it with your eyes open, and you'll know. Oh, my holding period—I've got to be here for five years, so I can't just go in and and, and you know. If you're a young person, and you think, oh, might meet someone in five years. You know, things could change. Well, if you've got two bedrooms, you've got half a chance. And if you're going to have a family, you got you got you know. So again, don't don't just think about buying a house with who you are now. You also got to think before. about who you're going to become, and you don't want to be a reluctant landlord. You know, I've heard of this now. It doesn't really make sense for most people, particularly if you paid good money. You because know, of the tax. Because of the tax. In your own name, you're going to get taxed on all the income, regardless of the, the mortgage. And most people are in a negative on an investment. And that's actually good because it means there's going to be more people selling what I call peripheral investment properties at more realistic prices because they are bleeding cash. There's a bloke I spoke to the other day who was crying down the phone to me. And he said, "I've got four of these properties, and they are draining two thousand pounds a month in total off of him,
1: just to manage, just to pay the mortgage." Yeah, and one
0: yeah. of them, they haven't paid the rent for nine months, and he's oh, taken them to court. Brutal. He yeah. said, "This is causing me no end of grief," and so on. What should have been a simple thing has all become a drama. And I said, "Well, you need to get rid of them all." He said, would well, you want to buy them all off me? I said, yeah, but I'm not here to save your day. I said, I'll yeah. probably pay you what the mortgages are. Oh, well, I can't do that. I said, well, keep, keep, keep with, the pain keep, money, keep yeah. with yeah. the pain. keep with the pain. I said, you know, I'm not being funny. I said, you know, do what you can. I'll sell them off individually. So he's now going to start selling them off individually. He's hoping to get some first-time buyers who are a bit green. This is his words, not mine. And that's the problem is there's an asymmetric relationship between the people who are behind all the selling of houses and you as the purchaser. Remember, as a first-time buyer, you are valuable, okay. So, don't let that go. Particularly with things like the stamp duty thing. You know, so what? So what? You don't pay any stamp duty. They can't load that on the property. Yeah. yeah. You know, no, that's your benefit, and and don't forget that. You
1: know, I think from first time buyer perspective, you know. Take your time, work it out from what I can afford on a monthly basis so that when I'm going at home, I've got a price that that's what I pay and recognize the fact that you're valuable and that most people in this market that are selling have probably got a motivation that you don't recognize. And that this asking price really is just a number they want. It doesn't mean you have to bid it.
0: Well, here's a little story I heard today. You know, the inflation target of 2% that kind of all the companies like, do you you know that there's no basis in economics for that number at all? It apparently was plucked out of the the thin air by a guy at the IMF, I think, who was one of the senior economists who said, doesn't sound too low and it doesn't sound too high uh, on the basis that we want a little bit of inflation in the economy because that's good because it erodes people's debts. Um, And and that's the other thing to bear in mind. If you've got high inflation, it's actually eroding debt, which that's a good thing. It's reducing the real terms cost of a debt. But also if rising cost of money. And I'm not convinced that we're even at the, the peak yet. I still think there's a bit more to go. And it all depends on how people react to their fixed rates coming to an end. There's, I think it's, depending on who you speak to, it's somewhere between one to 1.8 million people over the next 12 months are coming off of fixed rates. We haven't seen nothing yet.
1: <laughs> so what do those people do then? We've talked first-time buyers, if yeah. you're sat there now with a home on 1.5% and you're about to go to 5% and you know that doubles the cost, what should they be doing? Well,
0: you've got to assume, you look at the deals now, I think the deals that you're getting there now are probably not going to change massively. So if it's 4 to 5 to 6, the rate you pay will be very much determined by the equity and the property. Okay, that, That's the key determinant, whereas we didn't have much of a difference and it can be as much as 1%. So. So what that really says is I think uh, if I were someone in that situation, I'm talking six to nine to 12 months down the line, I'd be saying, right, okay, let's now pretend we're on the new world rate. So I was on two. I'm now going to be on four. I've got to pretend I'm on that rate now and I have to rearrange my budget as if I'm already paying it. Not, Not it's coming. It's happening. It's happening right now. So let's say that was a £300 a month increase in your thing. Now, this may be really tough for some people, particularly people they have gone from two incomes to one, perhaps have started a family or something. But nevertheless, this is what I would do if you can. Pretend it's happened now and recalibrate your budget and all your other major decisions, including do we go on holiday? Do we change our car? Do we downscale our car? you know, Do we go to the cheaper supermarket or do we not have takeaways anymore or not so often or whatever it is? And make all your decisions based on you are now paying that money and put the money that is the difference between what you will be paying and what you're currently paying and put it in a savings account. Just an instant access, you get that 3.5% now, instant access savings and do not touch it. Now, I'm assuming here also that you're going to get rid of any expensive debt and credit cards and loans and downscale your car if you've got payments. Just just detox yourself. So if you are if you are uh, approaching a time when your mortgage cost is going to go up and assuming you're not going to sell your house and clear off the mortgage and move into rented for a bit, You've just got to do everything you would normally do anyway to be much more conscious about where you're spending your money and uh, looking for ways of reducing the costs, looking for ways to maximise your income. Uh, pretend as if you're paying that payment now, if you can, or to to the extent that you can, make all your decisions on the basis of the new world you're going to be in, not the current world that you're living in.
1: I think, um, it, like you say, people don't have a choice, do they? Like It's coming, so you might as well try and prepare now. And,
0: and yeah and the other thing is get friendly with a good mortgage broker because although you can look on things like money facts and other price comparison sites to give you an idea a good mortgage broker is particularly if you know you're you're you know depending on how much you're needing to borrow or your circumstances are a bit more Chancy, like you're a contractor or you've had a reduction in income or you've got part-time pay or you have a large bonus situation or whatever it is, or you're a limited company director, if there's anything where you don't tick all the perfect boxes of the perfect perfect borrower who doesn't exist or there's only like you know three out of ten people who meet that criteria, you can still get good deals if but certain brokers know how to present you and they know which lenders. So it's good to get- um, You can lock
1: them in for six months as well. Can't well, I was you, just going to say, time. the
0: other thing is, is you can- you can get, once you get your mortgage offer, not the offer in principle, but the formal mortgage offer, we've surveyed the property, we've checked you out, we've looked at your pay slips, we've looked at your bank account, yes, we're happy to offer you this. And assuming no changes to your circumstances, you've got up to six months normally from which you can then, you've got to, uh, for your solicitor to draw the money down and the offer can't be uh, taken away as long as your circumstances haven't changed. The beauty about that is you probably need to start that process a couple of months before that because right? it takes six to eight weeks to yeah. get the offer, and so you could what you could do as long as you're not having to pay out big fees, and many of these mortgages are you know free free valuation, free um, uh, legals. Um, as long as you don't incur lots and lots of costs for this, you could you could get an offer secured now, arrange your finances as if that's going to be what's going to happen. So do your, your spending plan and all the other decisions. But if something comes out that's cheaper between now and as you approach D day. Your old mortgage finishing, and you having to draw down the new one, you can apply for a new one, can't you? You're yeah. not you're not stuck in as long as you haven't paid large amounts out for the privilege. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but don't put your head in the sands. You know, you've got two ways of dealing with this. And I, I, I've got a Ukrainian guy I speak to, and he says you can either run to the enemy or you can cower from them. He said, and we choose to run to the enemy, and that's the mentality. And so you've got to run to your financial issues and deal with it, and it. It's particularly difficult, and I just mentioned this point, Damien, it's particularly tricky in couples because many people find it difficult to talk about money, they find it difficult to get on the same page, they aren't always clear about their values, are they the same? What you find is that with couples, they often can be at mis-messages, misunderstandings, and what they're thinking is not what they're saying um, or what they're saying their partner's not hearing, and it can cause tension and issues. And don't forget, particularly if it's your home, and particularly if you've had children or you've had a change in your circumstances, it can become very emotional very quickly. So you've got to try and you've got to start. It may be particularly if you you as a couple find it difficult to to really talk about money in a way that doesn't end with either a row or acquisition or you know some tension. You've got to take small steps to look. Um I've heard this brilliant thing on Damien's uh, website you know about um, or a podcast about you know how to think and feel about money one thing we've got to do is get on the page go back to what I said right at the beginning what does good look like Yeah Right. and what is the role of this property purchase or or what is the role of this house that we're living in now or do we want to move you know
1: so would this house still fit our needs if it was 700 extra a month because that's what it's going to be when the rate rise comes yeah, in or it. do
0: we still feel comfortable living here yeah. paying 700 pound a month extra you know yeah. is it still or would we be better off paying 1000 pounds a month extra um moving and all the drama that goes with that
1: yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, there's two elements, isn't there? There's first-time buyers and then there's people that are already in homes and the needs of both, as you said, the first-time buyers kind of want motivated sellers to come to the market and sell their houses at a discount and be, be stuck. Whereas- and they're coming. They're yeah. coming. Yeah. yeah. But, you if know, My
0: phone call, my phone messages or anything to go by, they're coming because buy-to-let landlords are hurt. People are only in their own name who've bought in the last seven, six, seven years. Or or have become reluctant landlords because they've moved on and kept their property, which is a lot of them, uh, they are bleeding cash. So I think not that they're your saver, saviour, but they are certainly a significant number of people, and particularly in London.
1: And for people that don't understand what's going on there, that's simply because of the way that tax is treated on mortgage interest. They can't offset that as a, a business cost as such. They yeah. have to pay taxes. So just on to be clear, yeah, month.
0: if you've got a thousand pounds a month coming in rent, yeah. right, you're taxed on that thousand pounds a month, right, regardless of what it costs you to run the property, and you get a small allowance, uh twenty percent of the cost of the borrowing deducted off of your tax bill. And so... That that was being very. T- that's happened over the last six years. That's been very painful for many people on the old rates of the twos and three percents. But don't forget, by to let landlords are now, looking at going from three percent to six or seven percent in some cases, and particularly if their their own income position is a bit more chancey, it may even be more than that. So what was starting to look like kind of just about holding itself together is now going backwards. So every month that goes by, there's money being taken out of the landlord's pocket.
1: Yeah. So. The key thing that I'll take away from this conversation is the whole be patient point. I think yep. there's a lot of panic in, in housing purchases. I'd love to
0: be a first-time buyer now. Oh yeah. great! So just just wait. But I would chill. say if you're in the dating scene, right? As I said to my daughter, she's single and uh, and she's quite demanding. I don't think there's a man out there that exists that will meet the requirements. <laughs> but she said. She said one of the requirements I have. She said is he must qualify for the first time by a discount. Oh wow! She oh, was wow. Yeah. You're, I'm talking, her I'm well. was you're talking well. about you saying that, isn't <laughs> it? <I'm not> joking? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I said that to her. I said just don't ask him how much they earn. Ask him how much they save.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so. You've you've obviously been on a journey financially. You said you you started poor and you are where you are now. I kind of want to know, how did you become good with money?
0: Um, I wouldn't say I'm good with money. I'm a reformed, I'm a reformed character. Uh, it's always there in the background waiting to-
1: What is? Pourness, <laughs> mayhem, oh, poorness. You know, mayhem. Chaos. Carnage.
0: Chaos. Ridiculousness. Impulsiveness. Because I'm naturally a, an extrovert. I'm naturally an impulsive
1: person. No, so. you're an extrovert. I thought you were quite insular, to be honest. But
0: what I've learned over the years, I've had to learn coping strategies. And this is something I would suggest also. Learn about your own money styles. There's lots of different types of- Just Google search money types, money styles. There's a, there's about eight versions of the money types. And there are, there are between six to ten money types. Avoidance and- yeah. Whatever, you know, architecture or whatever they call it. My daughters are architects, so they need every, loads of information. They need to lots of time to think about it. Um, they're very cautious. They're always worried about downside. Sounds they're worried like about the scarcity. very, impulsive. But, yeah. once you, but once you know who wh- you're predominant, we're all, we all have aspects of us. And our wiring and our upbringing and our stories that we've heard and all those things influence us. But once you understand who you are, you can understand, you can play to your strengths and you can try and deal with your weaknesses. So in answer to your question, um, What's helped me, I think, become the person I am now, and I'm certainly don't count myself as wealthy. You know, I'm, I'm you know, I'm not a, a Sultan of Brunei and I'm not, I've am got boats and nine houses and stuff, but what's got me to the position where work for me is optional. I work because I want to, not because I have to, is um, I've always thought abundance. I've always seen opportunity. Uh, you know, I've walked, was it 10 minutes from the tube station to meet have a chat with you never met you before in my life yeah why would i do that i'm a busy guy but i can always spot opportunities i'm always prepared i make time in my life for always taking a bit of a risk for always trying new stuff in terms of money um it is just money um if i suddenly got ill or died tomorrow i wouldn't define my value as a human being based on how much wealth i've got and how much money i earn, because i don't really spend much money neither me or my wife you know um But what I do think for me is it gives me the opportunity to do things like this. I'm here talking to you. I do my citizen's advice, volunteering. I give money to charity. um, And I do things that wouldn't necessarily be economically amazing. I still do all my business things because I like them. And someone says, what's your hobby? Um, Apart from staying married and healthy, um, it is business. I like business. I like value creation. I like investing in businesses. I like investing in property. I like um, creating content and ideas and And expressing things and more importantly, giving people optimism. So, the thing that has saved me, and I have had many failures in my career, is I've always been optimistic about the future. I've always believed that failure is just another little step forward. Um, And I've always thought to myself, the things that you think are your weaknesses. So, in my case, I didn't have a great education, I had a very poor upbringing and mad sort of parents and complete mayhem. But actually, that's the source of my success because it's made me very resilient. And it's said to me that there's nothing that can happen in the world that could phase me, um, that I haven't already looked down the, the barrel of a gunner, as it were, in terms of growing up. So what you think is your impediment, whether it's your age, your education, your ability with numbers, maths, whatever it is, stop telling yourself that story that's holding you back. But equally, don't define yourself, your value as a human being by how much money you earn or how much you've accumulated. Just say to yourself is that money is going to be a force for good in your life. It is just money. It's a unit of exchange. Um, And enjoy the journey as much as the destination. Um, And so that's really my view. And, you know, I'm 54 next week. And I think to myself, well, if if I had to sort of, you know, hang up my boots now, I'd be very, very disappointed because I still think there's, there's fuel in the old tank. Value to add. Yeah. But I still think, God, I've, I've done quite a lot of stuff yeah. and even the failures and even the setbacks and the disappointments and the mess ups were great fun. The key is make sure, you, you know, don't try and make killings and don't do anything that can kill you.
1: And always plan for a new boiler.
0: Yeah. Always, always, <laughs> always
1: put <plan laughs> the value aside for a new boiler because yeah. if it can go wrong, it will do. If you'd like a bullet point summary of this episode, then subscribe to our newsletter in the description. We'll also include all the links that we mentioned in this episode there as well. I'm Damien Jordan, and I hosted this episode with my great mate, Tamena Kerale. The episode was recorded by Jack Hobbs and edited by Johnny Hunter. Music is by Felix Taylor. It was produced by Ruth Edwards and brought together by Will Stollerman.